الحمد لله الذي أرسل رسوله بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له له الملك وله الحمد يحيي ويميت بيده الخير وهو على كل شيء قدير وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد فيا عباد الله اتقوا الله تبارك وتعالى هف تقوى أبا الله هف فير أبا الله سبحانه وتعالى because if you have fear of Allah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He will protect you, and He'll safeguard you, and He'll direct you to what is good for you in the life of this world and the next. Ayyuhal Muslimun. Continuing with the previous khutbah that I delivered here a few weeks ago, on the topic of Dala'il al nubuwa proofs of prophethood, Proofs that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he is in fact a true prophet sent from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We mentioned in the previous khutbah that among the categories of the Dala'il al-Nubuwa, among the categories of the proofs of prophethood are the prophecies that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam made. Things that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam told us about such information that no human being can have access to other than the one that is receiving divine inspiration. Among the examples that we made and the examples that are found in the books of a sunnah concerning proofs of prophethood, concerning specifically the category of the prophecies that the messenger made, those proofs, they go into the hundreds. But among the few examples that we made mention of last khutbah was the messenger alayhi salatu informing his companions concerning occurrences that are happening in another land, in another place, far from, far from Medina, in another country, informing the companions about an occurrence that is happening while he is speaking in another land. For example, the Messenger والسلام, telling the companions about the death of An-Najashi on the day that An-Najashi passed away. Or the Messenger والسلام, informing the companions about the death of the leader of the Muslim army in Jordan. One leader after the other, after the other, up until Khalid ibn Walid, he takes the banner, even though they were in Jordan. And the messenger is in Medina informing the companions about the death of each and every single commander that fell dead in that particular battle. This is in a time when no form of radio communication existed. Impossible for a person to tell you what is happening in Jordan when you're sitting in Medina, except if you're receiving revelation, inspiration from the divine. Likewise, from the examples that were mentioned in the previous khutbah concerning prophecies that the Messenger والسلام, made was him informing the companions about the death of the enemies of Islam that will fall on the day of the battle of Badr 
one day prior to the battle itself. So the messenger says, this is where so-and-so will be killed. This is where so-and-so will be killed. And then Umar, he says, the next day when the battle was finished, each and every single one of those enemies of Islam fell dead in the exact same spot that the messenger prophesied. Likewise from the prophecies that the messenger made, was the messenger telling the companions that the Muslims are going to invade Cyprus, invade Constantinople because of the threat that they had from these from these two nations and they did not just that but the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam telling the female companion um haram, um, ha um haram that she will be joining and she will be on the first sea expedition that the muslims will ever partake in and she did how did the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam know this no other answer other than the fact that it was divine revelation likewise the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam telling their, his companions when they shall die not just that but which one of them shall die as shuhada as martyrs not just that but telling his companions where the blow the fatal blow shall be struck on what part of their body like he told ali anhu, that the sword shall strike him here and it shall fill his beard with blood here not just that but the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, informing his companions about the last meal that they will have before they are martyred. Like the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, informing the great and noble companion, Ammar ibn Yasir, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, anhumah, that the last thing that he will consume is laban. The last thing that he'll consume is buttermilk before he is killed by transgressing people. And thus, Amar bin Yasir continued to live and live and Allah did not decree him to die up until he reached in up until he reached his 90s and then he drank from Laban went into the battle and he was killed likewise from the categories of Dala'il al-Nubuwa there's another category separate to this category the category that we discussed in the previous khutbah were the prophecies that the messenger made. Another category from the categories of proofs of prophethood is the ahwal of the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. The character of the messenger, the nature of the messenger, the personality of the messenger alayhi salatu wasalam. Allah jalla wa ala he has said in his book فَلَا أُقْسِمُ بِمَا تُبْسِرُونَ وَمَا لَا تُبْسِرُونَ Indeed I swear by everything that you see and everything that you cannot see meaning I swear by everything that exists and when Allah Jalla wa Ala takes an oath then that means he's going to say something very very important therefore pay attention إِنَّهُ لَقَوْلُ رَسُولٍ كَرِيمٍ Indeed, it is the statement of a noble messenger. وَمَا هُوَ بِقَوْلِ شَاعِرٍ قَلِيلًا مَا تُؤْمِنُونَ And it is not the statement of a poet. Little is the iman that you have. Little is the faith that you have. وَلَا بِقَوْلِ كَاهِنٍ And it isn't the statement of a fortune teller. 
قَلِيلًا مَا تَذَكَّرُونَ Little is it that you take heed. Little is it that you remember. Little is the lesson that you take. تَنزِيلٌ مِّن رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ But rather the Qur'an, it is revelation coming from the Lord of the heavens and the earth. Ayuhal Muslimun. Indeed, the enemies of Islam, they have tried to attack the character of the Messenger والسلام, from day dot. Ever since Muhammad ibn Abdullah was sent by Rabbul Alameen as a messenger, then the enemies began to attack him. The enemies ended up making accusations against him. But regardless of how much labor and toil they exerted in accusing this great and noble man with false accusations, regardless of their efforts, Allah Jalla wa'az caused every single one of their claims, every single one of their accusations against this great and noble revered prophet to fall flat on its face. So what are the accusations that they made? And what are the accusations that people have continued to make against him? Up until today, accusations that when a person looks at them, analyzes them, sees them for what they truly are, he realizes that those accusations, they don't stand. They don't carry any weight at all. So the accusations that the people have made, there are many. But we will suffice with mentioning six. So as for the first, then that is the claim that the disbelievers of Quraysh made against the Messenger والسلام, that he is a poet. But you, the Arab, the disbelievers of Quraysh, you know what poetry is. Number one, you know that Muhammad never ever was he somebody that was well known for poetry. But you, the Arab of Quraysh, you know that poetry, that's your forte. That is your field. You know what poetry is, what the rhyme of poetry is, the rhythm of poetry is. You know the style of poetry. You know the form of poetry. You know the scales of poetry. You know what poetry, you know what poetry is. And therefore all you have to do is do what you're good at. Produce something that can match it. Produce something, if it is poetry, that matches it and surpasses it. Because you know what poetry is. Just like we are able to distinguish between poetry, it's got a certain style to it, and between a letter that you, say, that you write, letters have a certain style to it. Language that is used in conversation has a certain style to it. So the poetry has a certain style to it. It has certain patterns, certain rules. And you, the Quraysh, you are well versed in it. That is your forte. Therefore produce something that is, that is like it. Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, one of the enemies of Islam, when he went to the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, offering him money, offering him wealth, offering him kingship, offering him power, so that Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam can stop this message of Islam. The Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam listened to what Utbah had to say. And then the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam recited Hameen to the end or to the point of making sajda. He recited this part from the Quran. After he recited it, Utbah ibn Rabi'ah went back to the leaders of Quraysh. 
back to Abu Jahl, back to Umayyah ibn Khalaf, back to the, the, the leaders of the Quraysh. And when he arrived, what did they say? They said, Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, he has come back with a face different to the face that he had when he left us. Indeed, Muhammad, he has, he has put his magic on him. Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, Shahid, Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, what did he say? He said, by Allah, ma huwa bi shi'r. By Allah, that is not shi'r. What Muhammad recited to me, that is not poetry. Something that I've never ever heard before. Even the non-Arab who doesn't understand Arabic, he is able to distinguish. At times you'll find someone who doesn't even understand Arabic. He becomes touched. He becomes mesmerized by the beauty of the Quran. When he hears the Quran being recited, he becomes captivated by it. You have it nowadays on YouTube. People doing reaction videos, non-Muslims, disbelievers, atheists some of them. Listening to the Quran, listening to the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Atheists becoming overwhelmed. Some of them are being overwhelmed with tears when they hear the book of Allah jalla wa'az being recited. How? How can that be the case? Because it's not poetry. Poetry has its own distinct form. Quran has its own distinct form. In fact, on an occasion, there was an individual, an Englishman, non-Arab, doesn't understand any Arabic at all. I wanted to show to him the difference between poetry or Arabic or something that is said in Arabic and then the distinction between that and the Quran and how the Quran is so, so different to it. So I recited to him in Arabic the first line from the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I read to him the first verse from Genesis from the Old Testament, but in Arabic, a religious statement. Then after that, I took out my phone and I played Surah Al-Fatiha with the translation. This individual who was an ex-Catholic, a pagan in fact, somebody who worships the sun and the moon. This individual, he heard the Arabic of the Bible that I read to him. And then he saw the Quran, he heard the Quran being recited with the translation. I saw this, I saw in this man's eyes tears, tears were shedding from his eyes. When it came to the part, Maliki Yawmiddin, he said that captivated me. He said there is some type of thing in this recitation that made it absolutely different to the other verses of Arabic that you read from the Bible. He said to me, it shows to me, this proves to me that it must have been from the divine. Here is a non-Muslim, a pagan who was able to distinguish between the Quran and between regular, regular Arabic literature. Why? Because what the Prophet ﷺ came with isn't shi'r. Poets, they have a certain demeanor to them. They have a certain character. Poets are followed by, followed by the ghaween. Those people that are overcome with their passions, even though those passions might be harmful for them. The Messenger ﷺ was not like that. So what else do you have? What else do you, the enemies of Muhammad, have to say about him? That he was a kahin? That he was a fortune teller? Or fortune tellers? Where do they get their information from? They get their information from the jinn. Jinn gives them the, the, the information. 
Or they may get their information from intuition. Some people they have a knack to be able to guess certain things and estimate certain things. He looks at your pocket and he can tell how, much, how many coins you have in your pocket. A certain gift that people have. Or a person he's able to predict certain things that are going to happen in the future. Why? Because he's able to detect the precursors of that particular event. That is how the fortune tellers say they're fortune telling. If it's the case that they're receiving knowledge from the jinn, then Muhammad ibn Abdullah he's far removed from that. Because the fortune teller from his characteristics is that he's going to convey information which is going to be vague. He's going to make a prediction, but the prediction is going to be vague. So he says, for example, that a calamity is going to happen to you in a few years' time. So after a few years, you come back to him and you say, oh, my son died. He says, yes, that is exactly what I meant. He made a vague prediction, and then he tries to match it to a certain event that happened. Or if he is precise, and if he is trying to be accurate concerning the predictions that the fortune teller makes, then you're going to find he's going to make mistakes. One day he's correct, the next day he's obviously going to be incorrect. In contrast to Muhammad ibn Abdullah alayhi salatu wasalam, every single prophecy that he made was correct, precise, and accurate. How? Wahi min Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wahi min Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Revelation from his Lord jalla wa az. What else do the people have? That Muhammad is a magician. Isn't it the case that the magician, he is not only receiving information from the devils, but he's being taught by the devils. Taught by the devils how to harm people. Taught by the devils how to make people ill. Taught by the shayateen how to kill people. That totally goes against the nature that you, the Quraysh, know about Muhammad ibn Abdullah Not just that, doesn't Muhammad say that when you recite the book of Allah, say, A'udhu billahi shaytanir rajim. I seek refuge in Allah from the damned, cursed devil. If he's receiving help from the devil, is he going to say that the devil is cursed? What else do you have? So far, that he's a poet. Number two, that he is a fortune teller. Number three, that he's a magician. Number four, that Muhammad is a madman. That Muhammad, he is somebody that is hearing voices. Well, a mad person, somebody that suffers from psychological disorders, he has symptoms. There are signs by which we're able to detect and see a person being mentally disturbed, a person hearing voices, a person having delusional thoughts. Even a child is able to recognize somebody that is insane. There are distinct signs by which you can tell a person is crazy. The one that is receiving, the one that is undergoing delusional thoughts, the one that is undergoing and hearing voices, you'll find that he's inconsistent in the things that he says. You find that he lacks willpower. You find that he doesn't have courage. He's a coward. He, doesn't, he lacks bravery. Ya Muhammad ibn Abdullah alayhi salatu wasalam, the complete opposite. Rather than being a coward, he alayhi salatu wasalam, would be at the front of the battle. Rather than he alayhi salatu wasalam, being someone that has no willpower, Rather, he والسلام, was the most optimistic of people, even when he's in the cave. And the disbelievers, those that are the bounty hunters wanting to get Muhammad dead or alive, Abu Bakr dead or alive, 
once they reach the foot of the cave Muhammad والسلام, is inside of the cave of the cave Abu Bakr becomes scared well, but what does the messenger say La don't be scared indeed Allah is he is with us optimistic having hope that is not the nature of someone that is crazy the one that is crazy he be, he lacks willpower the one that is crazy he's inconsistent the one that is mentally disturbed he's inconsistent in the statements that he makes but now look at Muhammad alayhi salatu wasalam. He begins his mission. And the mission, the mission lasts for 23 years. The most consistent of people in the statements that he made. When you are speaking for 23 years, and you're being monitored, then there's bound to be inconsistencies in the statements that you make. But not only does he alayhi salatu wasalam, be very consistent, he offers an aqeedah, a belief system that is absolutely coherent. No belief contradicts another belief. Not only that, but he alayhi salatu wasalam is able to offer, able to establish a law, a law that covers, covers and governs every single arena of human life. Is that the work of a madman, a crazy person? La, abadan. Rather it is the work of someone that is receiving inspiration from the creator of the heavens and the earth. What else do the disbelievers have? That Muhammad والسلام, is a liar. That is another accusation that they try to make. That he's a liar. Okay. Well, there are ways that we all use to detect a liar. There are methods that we all employ, us here, we employ certain methods to be able to distinguish a liar from a truthful person. One of them, the first one. Is a person's face, how he speaks, the way he behaves. Sometimes you just look at the face of a person, hear him speak, hear him behave, and at the very least you feel uncomfortable. At the very least you say to yourself, I'm not confident with him. You go on a journey with somebody, somebody that you've never met before. He's in the car with you, you've never met him before. But after a while, just by looking at him, hearing him speak, you're able to make a decision whether or not you think he's trustworthy or not. And for that reason, you found Abdullah bin Salam, anhu, who was a Jewish rabbi, a learned Jewish man. As soon as he saw the face of Rasulullah, he said, that is not the face of a liar. Another way that you tell if someone's a liar or not is based upon the information that you know about him. That you don't require for him any type of proof, any type of miracle for the claim that he's making. Just the fact that he is the one that is making a claim, you accept it wholeheartedly, without question. And thus you find Khatija radiallahu ta'ala anha, she didn't ask for the messenger for any miracles. Abu Bakr, he didn't ask for any proof. You Muhammad have said it, you Muhammad have said that you are a messenger, because we know about you, because of what we know about you, it's sufficient. That is sufficient. We believe in you. Another method by which you're able to distinguish the liar from the truthful one, catch the liar from the truthful one, is an elimination process. What do we mean by that? By asking questions, looking for signs, signs of a person being a liar, signs of a person not being honest, like Heracles, when he questioned Abu Sufyan, he asked him questions. Why did he ask him those specific questions? 
to eliminate the reasons why perhaps Muhammad might be a liar. And once he had all of those questions answer, answered, then he asked Abu Sufyan, what does Muhammad tell you to do? And all the things that Muhammad tells you to do, they are all the signs of a truthful prophet. Likewise, from the greatest of signs, greatest of ways of distinguishing a liar from a truthful person, is by seeing what do the people that are close to him say about him. Did they say that he's a liar? Did they say that he has a face outside in public and another face inside at home? What's their opinion concerning him? And we find the family of the Messenger والسلام, having nothing but praise of him, that he would milk the sheep, patch up his clothes, dust and dust the dust and the, clean the house. And the companions love the Messenger والسلام, to such an extent that they were willing to sacrifice their lives for him. Rather, Anas ibn Malik ta'ala anhu, he said that the day that the Messenger والسلام, entered into Al Madinah, all of Medina was lit up. And the day that the Messenger والسلام, passed away, all of Medina was in a state of darkness. Bilal ta'ala anhu, when he made Adhan after many years in Al Madinah, people began to cry. Why? Because it reminded them of Al Mustafa alayhi salatu because of the sheer love that they had for him. They had nothing bad to say about him. Not just that, his own enemies, the disbelievers of Quraysh, those who persecuted him, those who did harm to him, even they could not help but say nothing but truthfulness concerning his character. Abu Sufyan, he's asked by Heracles, Has he ever lied to you? Has Muhammad ever lied to you? What does Heraclius, what does Abu Sufyan say? No, he's not lied to us. So if it's the case that he's never lied to you, human beings, how is it possible for him to lie against the creator of the heavens and the earth? The sixth claim that the people will try to make against Muhammad is that he was after power, after money, after wealth, after recognition, that his mission was nothing but a self-satisfying, selfish mission. How dare they say that? The one that is after power, the one that is after money, the one that is after wealth, after recognition, he has a certain port portfolio about him, a certain lifestyle about him. The one that is after power, he isn't patient, he doesn't per persevere. He doesn't have such high hopes and optimism as Muhammad Think about it. He's born fatherless. At the age of six, he loses his mother. At the age of ten, he loses his grandfather. Now he starts at the age of 40, he begins to preach. All of his people turn against him, even though before they were calling him Al-Amin and As-Sadiq, the truthful one and the loyal, trustworthy one. He's boycotted. He's made, he and his family are made to live in the mountain passes of Mecca. Shortly after that, when he needed his wife the most, when he needed Abu Talib the most, he loses the two of them. His people try to assassinate him. His people drive him out, make him a fugitive, yet he's still hopeful. He arrives in Al-Madina and lying in wait for him in Al-Madina are the munafiqun, hypocrites that are trying to sabotage his own mission alayhi salatu wasalam yet he's patient yet he's patient sallallahu alayhi wasallam optimistic up until Allah jalla wa ala gives him gives him strength gives him power 
such that he is able to go back to Mecca, take over Mecca, and now his enemies, his former enemies, those that were persecuting him, killed his family, family members, mutilated his family members, now they're in front of him. So what does he say to them? He says, what do you think I'm going to do with you now? If he was after power, if he, if he was after money, then what would a person say? Muhammad alayhi salatu what does he say? When he says to the people, what do you think I'm going to do with you? After you persecuted me, drove me out of my home, the home of my father, the home of my grandfather. What do you think I'm going to do with you? They said, Akhun Karim, Ibn Akhin Karim. You're a noble brother, the son of a noble brother. So he alayhi salatu he says, لا تثريب عليكم اليوم There is no blame upon you today. Go, for all of you are free. Is that the nature of someone that is power hungry? Someone. Christopher Columbus, when he went into the Americas and he raped the land of its riches and he annihilated and killed the Indians that were there. That, yes, you can say about him, power hungry. The king of Belgium, King Leopold or whatever he was called, when he did a genocide of killing 10 million Congolese Africans, raping the land of their riches, yes, about him you can say he was after power. Winston Churchill, when he engineered a famine, killing by way of that famine, engineering a, gen engineering a famine by which he caused the genocide of four million Indian Bengalis so that the food can come back here to Britain? Yes, you can say that was done for power. That was done for glory. That was done for money. That was done for material gains and all of the other colonial empires. Muhammad ibn Abdullah, who sleeps on a mat of straw so that it imprints on his back, alayhi salatu wasalam, is that the nature of someone that is after power? Muhammad, Muhammad ibn Abdullah alayhi salatu wasalam, the one that doesn't have food being cooked in his house for months. Is that the nature of someone that is after power? Muhammad ibn Abdullah alayhi salatu wasalam, surviving on dates and water. Muhammad ibn Abdullah alayhi salatu wasalam, who doesn't have enough space in his house to make sujood. He has to push the legs of his wife Aisha in order to have space to make sujood. Is that the nature of someone that is after power, after money, after recognition? The one that says, don't exaggerate in praise of me. Like the Christians exaggerated in praise of Jesus, the son of Mary. Rather say about me, slave of Allah and his messenger. Is that the nature of someone that is after power, shame upon those who say that. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Wa salatu wa salamu ala Rasulihil Kareem. Nabiyyina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa ashabi ajma'in amma ba'd. Ayyuhal ikhwah, there is much to be said concerning Dala'ilun Nubuwa. However, time does not permit it. But the one that is munsif, the one that is just and fair, the one that looks at the life of Muhammad ibn Abdullah alayhi salatu wa salam, he has no choice but to accept that he is a messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, that he, has, that he is someone that is sent by Allah Jalla wa'az. However, as Allah Jalla wa'ala has said, وَإِن يَرَوْ كُلَّ آيَةٍ لَا يُؤْمِنُوا بِهَا Even if they were showed every single proof, 
they will not believe in it. Therefore, as we have said before in the previous khutbah, that if it is the case that Allah Jalla has blessed you to recognize Muhammad ibn Abdullah والسلام, as a messenger, as a prophet of yours, then lift your head up high because there is izzah for you in being a follower of Nabiyun al-Kareem, Muhammad ibn Abdullah Allahumma aati nufusana taqwaha wazakkiha anta khayru man zakkaha anta waliyuha wa maulaha wa sallillahumma ala nabiyina Muhammad walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa aqimu salah